Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. When Andrea woke me up this morning to say, hey, the dog needs to go out, it got me thinking about how many times we've been woken up in the middle of the night, uh, maybe checking on a sound, or your wife elbowing you, saying, hey, there's a noise, or maybe try to figure out why the dog was barking. You know, sort of at that first storing at four o'clock in the morning, you know, you kind of wipe the sleep from your eyes and you decide, man, do I really want to get up for this? I'll just deal with it in the morning. But at some point you realize it's important enough to figure out if the dog is just barking to say hi to another dog, or do they really, is there really something going on? Or maybe you're hungry and you just want to grab a couple of Oreos. No, but you finally swing your, you swing your feet over the bed, you put your robe on, take a couple of steps, and then wham, you catch your pinky toe on the corner of the bed. All right. It's the third time this week that that's happened, and I really think the per- pinky toe serves no purpose other than to humble us and to just get in the way. All right. but, uh, but you finally make yourself downstairs. You figure out the dog really just wanted to say hi to the other dog that was barking. You ended up getting your snack. You start working your way back upstairs, and you feel what's like a lightning bolt in the bottom of your foot. It feels like a scorpion has just stung you. You pick your foot up, and you look, and you see you have a Lego embedded in the sole of your foot. So it sounds like we've all sort of been through this, you know. We're, we're joking about pain a little bit, but, uh, but I'm sure many of us have experienced real serious pain. Physical pain, emotional pain, and even possibly spiritual pain. But here we're going to be discussing Job, someone who is experiencing tremendous physical and emotional loss. And we're going to see that this loss starts leading him to a spiritual crisis. Now, as we get into our study today, we're going to see that his, his friends show up, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they show up with Job, and we're going to see Job, for the first time, really communicating and turning to God. We're going to see a man that's in turmoil, someone who's questioning why he was born, right? We're going to see him in these most difficult times, but we're going to place this passage in its proper context, right? And we're going to see that for ourselves, that in our deepest, darkest days, that our comfort comes from God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us through through your word. Father, we thank you for your spirit that lives inside of us, that communicates your word to us. So Father, we just ask that your word enlighten us this day, that your spirit speak to us and teach to us the words that you desire for us to learn. So, Father, as we, as we um, gather together for this teaching, Father, we ask that though it be my voice, uh, but that the words that are spoken, me, spoken by me just be guided by your Spirit and minister to our hearts. And we ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so today's study, we're going to begin in uh, Job chapter 2, verses, uh, starting in verse 11. So to get us caught up a bit here, we have had back in chapter one, we've had Job go through, uh, experience tremendous physical loss. He lost essentially all of his property, lost his servants, he lost his family. Uh, And when that wasn't enough for Satan, Satan uh, went to God and essentially received God's permission to afflict Job physically. So Job was afflicted with some type of ailment that is just devastatingly 
that is just devastating to his body. And we see here, as we get into verse 11, that Job's pain builds. So as we look at verse 11, the text says this here. I have to see. They're not reading glasses, so I have to put them on so I can see back there. So, so it's here. See, we're starting in verse 11. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evils, the evil that had to come upon him, they came for each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Nemanite. Um, they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Did you ever hear something from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from something else, someone else that something happened to somebody that you knew? All right, so eventually, you know, the word gets to us. And especially these past two years have been filled with tragic news of people suffering, right? suffering from, from illness, suffering from the virus, suffering from other things. Um, they could have been just sick a little bit or it could have been something much, much worse. They could be friends, they could be family members, they could be colleagues. Right? But how did you find out? How did the news travel? Was it a text? Was it somebody's status update on social media? Was it a phone call? Was it the church prayer email? Was it some other communication, some other way that you found out? But then how did you respond? Right? How did you choose to respond? What went into your response? Was it um, who the person was, the type of relationship you had with them? Was it the type of affliction that they had? Was it minor? Was it major? Right? Uh, so was it a friend um, or an acquaintance? You know, Job's loss goes all the way back to, as we said, back to verse 13 with the theft of his animals and the attack on his servants by the Sabians, and I have to imagine with someone of Job's status and stature that the news about Job's suffering spread fast and spread far. I mean, he was the greatest in the East. So I imagine it had to be, did you hear what happened to Job? Did you hear what happened to him? And then as every affliction built, it was more, can you believe this is happening to Job? So I think it spread very fast. And eventually the news gets to his friends. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. So just consider for a moment what Satan has wrought upon Job. It says here in the text that when his friends came up to him, they didn't even recognize him. It got me thinking about uh, one time about, about three and a half years ago, I went on a hospital visit for one of our congregants here who had suffered a head and facial injury. And when I got into the room, the only way I knew I was in the right room was because her husband was there. Talk about the shock. I mean, it was, it was shocking to me. So I think about the shock that his friends felt, right? And we see that their suffering for him was so great that they raised their voices, they wept, and they stayed with him in despair. And the pain obviously was so great because they were with him for seven days and they had nothing to say. They had no way to comfort him. You know, one question uh, that we, sometimes that we consider is, you know, what was Job suffering from? You know, what was this particular affliction that Satan wrought upon him? The other question often is, okay, well, how long did Job suffer? The text really doesn't tell us much other than they sat silently for seven days and nights. So I'm just thinking about the amount of time that it took for 
um, the news to get to his friends, his friends to gather their, their belongings and their stuff together, because this isn't just sending a text message and they hop in their car, right? So they have to get on their horses, their camels, or however they travel there in, in Arabia um, as they sort of um, meet up together and come to Job. So this could have possibly been months by the time his friends got there to comfort him. But really, no matter how long it was, we see that Job is in obvious despair. And then his despair leads him to curse the days. You know, I have to imagine that with his friends sitting with him, they had been waiting for Job to say something, right? They're there for seven days, waiting for him to say something profound. And after seven days, he finally speaks. He doesn't just speak and say, ow, this hurts a little bit. He speaks seriously for 26 verses. And we're going to see the battle for Job entering a completely different arena. Up until now, we've seen Satan afflicting Job physically. But now we begin getting an insight into Job's mind and how Satan is really battling Job. And that's for his mind and for his soul. So as we read our text here, it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. Nor see the eyelids of morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. See, Job just doesn't wish that the day perish on which he was born. He really adds to it. He says, let it be dark. Keep it from God's eyes. Let gloom, darkness, clouds, and blackness seize it. Let there be no rejoicing in my conception. Let there be no rejoicing in my birth, and let my mother be barren. And he even goes on to say, find those that, that, that make their business, that, that's their purpose, let's say, to curse the day. Rise them up and let them curse the day. You see, Job's pain is, is getting him off focus. He starts to say he wants to eliminate the day, but Job forgets that the day is something that God created and God said was good. He says, eliminate the night. Again, something God created and said was good. He wishes that his mother be barren. He says in verse 7 that his conception was a time of joy, but he wants that joy taken from his mother and from his father. Pain, serious pain, leads us to some, un- to, to some foolish thinking. It gets us to consider some pretty drastic things. So we see here Job cursing the day, but back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, God declared the day as good. Right? Job's suffering leads him to want to take a joyous time away from his mother, but you see Job forgets how joyous it was for him and his wife. How many kids did they had? Ten kids. He forgot how joyous of a time it was. And his pain and his anguish lead him to forget how precious those moments were. I mean, do you ever have a bad day at work, 
right? And we're not, I'm, not, I'm certainly not equating a bad day at work to Job suffering, but one of those days where it's about 9, 10 in the morning, and you're like, man, I can't wait for this day to be over. Or maybe the day was so bad, you try to go back, and it's like, man, I wish this day never happened. But we have to realize that every day, no matter how rough it is, is a gift from God. Right? When, we try, when we wish something away that God has ordained, it moves us away from God. So when we want to lash out in our difficulties, we need to remember that God is there. And when we curse the things like Job is cursed, we're trying to curse the things that God created for our good. Everything that God has placed around us, he has done for our good and for his glory. I mean, it would be like lashing out at your spouse or your kids because you're sick, right? I know they say guys don't handle sickness very well. Or sometimes, you know, when they try to compare childbirth to ladies and guys could never handle that. You know, it's like when we lash out at our spouses, you know, when we're, when we're ill or not feeling well. But God has placed them in our lives to help us. They're good for us, right? And Job's cursing the day, I think, is taking away God's goodness, right? But we need to see God's goodness as a place of rest, right? Job, and Job really just didn't stop with cursing the day, did he? Right? Because when that didn't happen, the next thing Job does, is he questions his birth. So if we look at verses, oh, 11, 19. Do you recognize this movie? Uh, we're coming out of Christmas season. Most of us sort of recognize this. This is It's a Wonderful Life. And if you haven't seen this movie, I'm going to explain it, so spoiler alert. Um, but it's been on every year, uh, I think, since 1945. So uh, this is a story about George Bailey. George Bailey... You know, he wanted to be an explorer. He wanted to travel. He ended up staying home, uh, helping when his father passed away to manage his father's business. And he did a lot of good for the town. The town had two people, two possible bankers to go to. There was George and there was me and Mr. Potter, right? So George helped a lot of people. If you didn't go to George, you got stuck with Mr. Potter. And George ended up in a bad financial situation. Somebody in his family had made a mistake and George was gonna take responsibility for it but then he realized by doing that, he was going to end up in jail. Tremendous loss. And then he wished that he was never born. And then his guardian angel comes to him, and this is where we kind of slide off into the unbiblical bit, but his guardian angel comes to him and gives him a glimpse of his life if he hadn't been born. And he misses, he get, begins to see all the good that he had in his community. Now his angel goes off and gets his wings, but that's a whole other thing. But the idea is he loses focus. He loses sight of all the good that he has done. So as we read in our text here in verse 11, Job says, Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, or filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not, or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease. They hear not the voices of the taskmaster. The small and the great are up there, and the slave is free of the master. What a shift of direction we have here. Beginning in verses, three, sorry, in verses 3 to 9, Job is saying, let. Job is trying to be the, the mover. He's trying to make the change, 
to let the day, to, to curse the day, let the day not exist. But here, Job, realizing that, that he can't do that, changes his focus not just from the day, he changes it to his birth. But besides changing the focus from himself, who is he asking the question to? Is he asking it to God? So he changes his focus now on God. We see here in this passage here in 11 to 19, there's four questions that begin with why, all related to his birth. And Job poses the question, why, God? But Job, again, forgets the blessings that had come from his life. Just like in verses 3 to 10, he begins by trying to curse the day to have taken the joy away from his mother. Now he wishes, wishes that he was never born, forgets the blessings and how he has provided for all of the people that are around him. And I have to imagine for a man that has declared the greatest in the East, he has provided for a great many people. And we can look at this and say that we see Job maybe questioning God's sovereignty, questioning him bringing this into this world, questioning him providing a mother to nurse him and care for him. But I don't see that as the case here. Job isn't doubting God. He's not telling God that he's wrong. He's not saying, God, you shouldn't have done this. God, you should have just let me die at birth. If Job were questioning God in that way, Job would not be blameless. Right? He would not be blameless if he was there telling God that he was wrong. You see, in our tragic circumstances, we can be one of two things. We can be helpless or we can be hopeless. Right? Helpless is, where, is when we're in a place where we need others around us to support us and to strengthen us. Hopeless is when we're distraught and we're in despair and we can turn from God. Job's lament and questions reflect his helplessness, but not his hopelessness. And we can see that by where he turns. Where does he turn? He turns to God. Right? How many of us in our difficult times and our sufferings question, why God, why? We're not questioning God's sovereignty, we're just trying to understand. You know, many of us are in the middle of a test right now, maybe a frustrating marriage, extremely difficult time at work, difficult in-laws. No matter what it is, <clears throat> we're always, we always are or always, and always should be turning to God to sustain us. Job is in the middle of a test. You know, we're tested all the time, and we know the answers to the tests, but sometimes we don't always apply them. Right? Because when we're in the thick of it, we're in the middle of it, we need to, one, we need to recall the answers. We need to be willing to submit and to turn to God. We need to have emotional stability. We need to have confidence that the direction that God is leading us is the direction we need to go. I mean, just think about a test you took at school. How many froze up taking a test? I mean, I mean yeah, everybody, yeah, everybody freezes up taking a test, right? You know, even this, the simplest things, you know, what's three plus three? And I answer nine. I'm like, well, no, the answer is six because it's three plus three, not three times three. You know, when we're in the thick of it, it's very easy to be distracted. <clears throat> and life's tests, bring it out outside of the classroom, but into our lives, life's tests have a way of blurring God's goodness. And Job is in such anguish that he's questioning why he was born, and then forgetting all of the goodness that God has provided for him. But forgetting goodness feeds despair. Feeding despair leads to hopelessness. Hopelessness leads us to questioning God. I mean, think about a time that maybe 
you felt like Job. I mean, I pray that none of us here ever experienced anything like this, but maybe sometimes that you felt you went through some sort of battle. Did you ever forget God's goodness in the middle of a small battle? I mean, now imagine in a big battle. The small battles prepare us for times like this so we can always remember God's goodness. You know, it's easy to say that Job is questioning some things that he shouldn't. I mean, he wishes that he didn't survive childbirth, but we know that human life is uniquely special to God, right? But again, Job isn't doubting God. He isn't turning from God, but rather he turns to God. Then beginning in verse 20, Job changes the focus again. Job goes from questioning his birth to then questioning his life. You know, at this moment, we see that Job has lost everything. And I have to imagine that Job has lost his purpose, right? There's one thing that we all need. We all need purpose. Our purpose comes from God. Now, Job, in his ultimate suffering, I think he is forgetting his purpose. And we can see that by where he questions. He can't see anything other than his suffering and his loss, right? Just look at the scope of his lament, cursing the day, uh, questioning his birth, questioning his life, right? You can see that Job is in tremendous anguish, and we see him question his life. Job says, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul who long for death, but it comes not and dig, I'm sorry, but it comes not and dig for it more than for hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Now, I wonder what Satan is thinking right now. A man that he expected to curse God and turn from God is turning to God and still holding fast to his Father in heaven. See, Job hasn't abandoned God. He hasn't lost faith in him. But I think that Job is seeing some of the opposite. I think Job is thinking that God has abandoned him. So if we look here at verse 23, so... It's up here, it's, uh, one, two, it's the fifth line down where it says hedged in. One, two, three, four, six, sixth line down. Whom God has hedged in. Where have we seen hedged in before? We've seen that used back in chapter one where Satan says that Job only honors you and, and follows you because you've hedged him in. You've placed a hedge of protection around us. Now, but Job is seeing that hedge as something different. It's saying, God, you've hedged me in. You've hedged me in the darkness. I can't see my way out. So Job is thinking that God has left him. Job is saying, why, if I have life, why, God, why can I not see the way? Now, if we remember back at the introduction of our book here, Job is caught up in a heavenly demonstration of God's authority. Job doesn't know the why. Job doesn't know the outcome of the story, right? We do. Job doesn't know. Job doesn't realize that God has allowed Job to continue on in life for him to be a lesson for all of us. We said back uh, three weeks ago when we were together, uh, we said that God is essentially setting uh, Satan up for the biggest face plant in the history of the world. And Job is caught up in this battle. 
I mean, it's easy to think that Job was wrong because he was so emotional about this, but God didn't create us as emotional, emotionless people. We're filled with emotion. Think of examples from Scripture. Think of David. In David's most difficult time, where did he turn? He turned to God. The Lord is my shepherd. Think of Jesus. All the times that he was emotional, where did he turn? He turned to his Father. Right? We are filled with emotion, and God desires us to turn to him. Now, at this moment, Job has not gotten to the point yet to see God as the comforter. Right? He has not gotten there yet. He's in the helpless phase, just at the, just at the start of it. And we're going to see through our study over the coming weeks, Job's continued battle. And then, you know, we're only going to be able to get to chapter 27, but I, what I'm hoping in the fall is to pick this up and we can see Job's ultimate redemption. But we see, though, that his relationship with God hasn't faltered. Because if it did, Satan would be there saying, see, I told you so. But Satan's not there. Job's relationship with his father hasn't faltered. And I think that Job was prepared for something like this. I think he thought that something was going to happen. Because if we see in our last verse here, starting in verse 25, it says, For the thing that I fear comes upon me, but what I dread befalls me. So the thing that he fears. He feared something was going to happen. But because of his relationship with God, it kept him prior. It kept him from turning from God in this difficult time. I mean, really, how did God refer to Job back in verse in chapter 1? Referred to Job as my servant. Job was prepared for what was about to befall him. Right? And if, as we look back at the end of chapter 1, where he's talking to his wife, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I mean, Job was prepared for a time like this. You know, difficult times and devastating pain can really alter our thinking about God. And we have Job seeing that here. I mean, emotions cloud our judgment. How many of us have ever made a good decision we've been really ramped up, right? I've been ramped up once or twice in my life. Um, that's hyperbole, it's a lot more than that. And I can guarantee you any decision that I've made when I was really jazzed up with emotion probably wasn't a good one, right? Um, so I, try, I really try not to make decision, dis- decisions there because we, the emotions really blind us. I mean, look at Job and his emotional state. What did he do? Curse the day. He wanted to curse the day that he was born. He wished that he was never... He wanted to curse the day in which he was born, curse the night in which he was conceived. He wished he had died at birth. He completely missed that his life and all the goodness were gifts from God. Job turned, after the first attack, Job turned to God. Right? He prayed to God. And as the pain and the suffering built... Even though he was still turning to God, his focus changed as he begins questioning God. He begins, begins questioning God and forgetting all the goodness that God had provided, but he didn't turn from God. You know, there's always going to be more going on in our suffering and our difficulties than we will ever know. Right? That's just how it is. Job didn't know why, and he didn't know what the outcome was going to be for all of this. But we have the, the, the pleasure, the joy of seeing the end of it. You know, we have no way of knowing the purpose of our pain and of our suffering. But we knew, what we do know is that everything that we endure, everything that we go through, everything that's provided for us, is provided for us for God's glory. God knows that it's going to hurt. He does. But he's provided us the access to him. The access isn't to curse the day or to wish that we were never born. It's to comfort us and to sustain us. 
And he's done that through Jesus Christ, right? Through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the comforter and the sustainer of all things. And through Christ, we have access to God to sustain us. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.